Hello. Welcome to Why Not Both. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. Why Not Both is all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. And this season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and come spend time with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that is both on Instagram and on Twitter. For this episode, we got to chat with Shalita Grant all about really everything. It was an absolute delight, and I wish that I could do this podcast every single week with her. I hope that you enjoy our interview. I'm having coffee too. So sometimes I'll be like, you know, yeah. Excellent. I was like, welcome to Why Not Both, where I too am drinking coffee because it's my lifeblood. (laughs) Girl, we got so much in common. (laughs) (laughs) Drinking the same drinks. The same everything. It's great. (laughs) This makes me happy. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, though, for your time, especially during uh, those like gestures broadly to everything. It's been a, it's been a time. (laughs) Yeah, normally, it's funny, in the before times, I would always start by being like, oh, what do you do? And what's a better question to ask? And, And now I'm just like, no, I'll just start with that. Like, what's a better question to ask than what do you do right now? Yeah. Okay. So I think a good question is, how are you pandemicking? So for me, um, <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> yes. Like I, I find myself saying every day, like, wow, what a beautiful pandemic day. Like, what a beautiful <laughs> pandemic. Like, in spite of the pandemic, things, I'm, I, there's still good things happening. Like, you know. So, um, so yeah, I chose to approach this time. Um, so in the before time, I love that you say that, Pam, because I say that too. <laughs> oh in, the, in the land before time. <laughs> um, you know, I remember, I remember it was so long ago, um, emotionally. Right. Uh, being like, oh man, I wish I had time for this. Or, you know, oh, I I don't have enough time to learn this thing that's going to improve my life or my business or, you know, whatever. Oh, I wish I had more time. And then the universe provided. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, here you go. (laughs) You want to time I hear? (laughs) You want to time? You have all of it now. What are you going to do? Exactly. I got drunk like me. The first like couple (laughs) weeks, I was drunk a lot. I was drunk a lot. (laughs) And in the before time, I didn't really drink, so it was exciting. I was like, I was hey, yeah. You probably had like a low tolerance too. You're just like, oh, this is great. I was cheap. I was so I was such a cheap little drunk um, <laughs> the first couple weeks because I only drank. I only drink. Um, all right, don't laugh at me, right? But it had a moment, and I really thought the entire culture, the entire zeitgeist, was going to be on my wave. Pam, have you ever had a moment where you're like, this thing that I've just encountered, this product, this item, this food group this whatever this is gonna be it this is yep. next right yep yep and you never nobody catches no one caught on no nope. yep, yep, yep. and every time you talk <laughs> about it people screw their face up like what the fuck is that? Ugh, that's great so i reunited and it felt so good with lambrusco from <gasps> oh my god yes! oh my god <laughs> you better turn off this you better turn off this recording you drink the lambrusco from <laughs> 
wine bar like ages ago and he like he was like you have to try this drink i was like what is it and he's like lambrusco (laughs) 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 oh my god and i became obsessed i i too am a very cheap date i don't usually drink it tends to just make me sleepy um yeah and so it's like that's not very fun you're just like cool i've had a drink bye i'm gonna fall asleep in a laundry basket it's like Yes, girl. And what I love about the Lambrusco from Trader Joe's is that it's not too dry and it's not too sweet. Yes. Perfect. And I dub this Lambrusco. I call it Lambrubru. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like, we have a relationship and I don't have to say its full name. It knows. It knows. Um, it knows. It feels it. But um, yeah, I've tried all of the Lambrubrus. You know what I mean? All over the land. You know, I've scoured it. And honestly, Trader Joe's has the best one. It's perfect. It's a perfect balance. And it's $5. I was going to say, it's so, it's worth the haunted parking lots of Trader Joe's to (laughs) get it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I spent the first few weeks drunk off Lambrusco. And then I was like, I looked in the mirror and I like did like a quick little move and my body kept moving in places. I was like, girl, you gotta give up your bottle check. So I switched back to weed. Um, Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. I was like, welcome. Yes. 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 Switched on back to my friend, my herbal plant. And then um, I, in my house, I have a room. So back in the day, back in the NCIS days and prior, I used Mm -hmm. to, um, I used to personal train, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 So so look, Pam, I, when I graduated from Juilliard, I did Shakespeare in the Park. And then I didn't work for like nine months, right? And I hit like this depression. But when I came up out of the depression, <clears throat> I, I, I came out and I saw, okay, all these new pounds and, um, you know, the, the grass is green. So I guess I should like work out. Yep. Well, yep. I got a job at Equinox because Equinox's business model for personal trainers is essentially, we'll take anyone off the street. and. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was hearty. <laughs> Equinox um, down the Equinox at Printing House in Greenwich Village. Um, And there was where I learned, you know, all about like weight training and like weight loss and like healthy goals. And um, I was learning on my clients. So I was like, yeah, they gave me all these tools. Hey, my 7 a.m., I want you to try this shit for me and see how it works. (laughs) I love that you were low-key like, I don't know if it's going to work. Let's find out. I have no idea. Let's try it. And if it works for you, I'm going to use it for me because I got some things to do with my own self. This little t-shirt is hiding a multitude of sins. Um, (laughs) So so from there, I got super into weight training. And uh, yeah, I did like, I would do pull-ups and like, you know, deadlifts and stuff. And I was really into it. And then when I got to my late twenties, I was like, and now I'm bored. Yep. So I turned 30 and I thought that I was going to, you know, maybe take on, uh, you know, uh, yachting or, you know, like I I had a moment where I thought I was going to be like an Olympic gold medal. I always go for gold, Olympic gold medalist in, um, the dinghy, you know how they do the sailing. (laughs) 
Yes. And I was like you could be over 30 and do that and still win. But then I was like, nah, that's dedication I don't want. And then I discovered pole dancing. And girl, I've been working at pole for almost two years now. So I have a pole in my room, in my, in my house. I have a pole studio room. Oh, that's um, so cool. Yes. So during the pandemic, I would go in there, smoke some weed, and like work that pole. And my little dogs, Candy Alize, she's my puppy. I named her stripper oh. name because of my foray into. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that she's like your mascot. Yeah, and girl, Pam, let me tell you, Candy loves me on that pole. She comes in and she wishes she's half Australian Shepherd, half Pitbull. Oh, oh, yes. oh my God, it's like a floofy Pitbull. Yes. Oh my God, she's the best. So she comes in the room with her little butt and she shakes her little butt while he's oh dancing. God. And then she chases me because she loves the spinning, you know? So she'll chase yes. me on the pole. Yes. Like, what are you doing? And then we go in and we play. Oh. So I'm having a blast in my lockdown. Please tell me there's videos of this. Oh, yeah, I think I do have some video of me and that girl. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's, like, showed up when I'm dancing. She'll, like, make a little cameo. Be like, hey, girl, I want to dance with you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, red lights in there. And, like, uh, I have some sound-activated, like, LED strips. Like, it's really cool. Like, it's a That is vibe. so cool. I love, like, have you seen um, the FK Twigs video for cellophane? Girl, so at the time that that video came out, I was polling. So now I poll primarily alone. But when I first started polling, I love learning and I love learning from other people. So um, I, I've polled, I can say, all over the world. Um, I polled all over the world in one year. I, I polled in Thailand. I polled in um, Spain. I polled um, all over the U.S. Um, but yeah, I was polling at B-Spun in Hollywood when that video came out. And it was all any of us could talk about because it's gorgeous it's so gorgeous and the song itself is she's fk twigs is incredible yes yeah that's really all i got on that it's just enthusiastic yes <laughs> yeah that blew my mind i have so much respect for i've not done pole i've done aerial silks a few times oh it's so great pam yes on like i really really loved it and also just the amount of strength that goes into it was fascinating like feeling that I was just like I had no idea I had those muscles in my wrists like things like that where you're just like moving around and you're just like oh my god yes. like now when I watch pole videos I'm fascinated and intimidated like I want to learn how to do it but I also know just how much work goes into it and I'm like damn Yes. And the thing that I love too about pole and in terms of like the people that it attracts. So I've polled with like 50 year old women. That's awesome. Who are like holding a pole between their fucking thighs. And they just started like three years before. Like, that's what I love about pole is that like at any age, at any <clears throat> strength level, whatever you can get in. And it's really just up to you how much you want to do because it is painful. Like it hurts a lot. So, you know, like if you're like, yeah, I'm just going to be an exotic bitch. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to be a spin pole chick. All right. Spin that pole lady. You know what I mean? So it's just like, whatever you want to do, there's so many different aspects, 
styles of polling. So yeah, it's it's for everybody. Yeah, it's it's fascinating also that art of making something that in some ways is very painful. Like when you said that I I had tried the Lyra hoop thing in the bobber. I don't know what it's called. Yeah, um, the Lyra, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had tried that at a friend's house who had one set up. And same thing where it's like even the most graceful, beautiful things on it. Like when I was trying them, I was just like cool, cool, cool. I feel like I have like a metal rod in my spine. And my friend was like, yeah, it's because you do. Yes. You're leaning on a, on a curved metal rod <laughs> with <Yep>. your spine. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's okay. Your body's okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was this really interesting cognitive dissonance of them being like, okay, how do I drape myself gracefully on this while still feeling like, oh my God, what's happening to my body? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I got to say, too, that other, like, so I, everything that I do, everything that I, like, you know, do, like, things that I, like, practice, I practice it because I'm working on something in my mind and in my heart and, you know what I mean, in my soul. Like, I'm, I'm healing something. <laughs> and when I turned 30, the, the, the other reason I was attracted to pole dancing was because I realized how unsafe I felt in my sexuality and sensuality in public. Oh. Yummy. Yep. Yummy. Yep. Like, so like I, when I'm out, like if I'm going to run an errand or if I'm running several errands, in spite of how I feel when I wake up, like I'm like, oh my God, look at you. You a bad bitch today. Look at that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like your ass has high self-esteem today. Yes. Maybe you should wear some leggings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have those moments. But then I inevitably think about um, the consequences of these choices. You know what I mean? In public. And and the lack of self-control men are socialized into um, not having, right? So when... When I was thinking about that, I started thinking about when I first moved to New York and the experiences I had, like walking on the street <clears throat> and the street harassment that you know yes. people talk about all the time. Um, but the the this the kind of effect that you don't really think about is the lack of safety you have everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. in spite mm-hmm. of you know whether you're walking on the street or you're going inside of a building. So. Right. When I discovered pole, I was like, all right, I'm going to face down some of these like demons, these fears, these monsters, and I'm going to like make friends with these monsters because on the one hand, yes, I knew that I was strong. I could fucking lift my own body weight. I have videos of me lifting 200 pound men on my back and like spinning them around like little pretty babies. You know what I mean? Like that, I know that I'm strong. Right. However... There is this weakness, this um, learned helplessness that I have adapted in public when it comes to the same body, the same strong body that could put a 200 pound man on my back is the same body that feels unsafe in the grocery store. So that's cognitive dissonance that I really wanted to heal. And I wanted to do it fun and I wanted to do it um, and work on flexibility because that's something that I, I wanted to. So there were all these things that I was working on. So on the sensuality, sexuality, when I got into the space, you know, you're confronted with all of these mirrors and all of these women who are working on the same thing, 
maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, you know, we're all trying to be comfortable in our bodies and, and do these like moves that are hard and graceful, but also very sexual and, and right. sensual. So for me, it was an exploration of what is sensuality for me that has nothing to do with white supremacy or patriarchy, because I am a lesbian and I'm a black lesbian. Yep. So my sensuality and my sexuality has been <clears throat> infiltrated by my, my, you know, socialization, by my culture. So I need to parse out what is real and what is, is, what is a man's version of sexual and sexy and what is Shalita's version of sexy, right? So that's the work that I was doing um, in those spaces. And then it went from, you know, working on being, feeling safe, in doing a private thing in public, because that's mm-hmm. what I, you know, this private exploration. I'm gonna explore this private exploration in public. And I'm going to fail and learn and grow in front of people. And I'm not going to take in my projection of what they think about me because right. this is about me. So then I moved into can you be with people but stay with yourself? Mm. So another way. So so I I I grew my internal space and healed my internal space using pole dance and using the mirror. There's this thing called mirror meditation. Mm-hmm. And I would do that where, you know, I'm surrounded by mirrors and I'm working on a problem, you know, a sequence of yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. So can I be a friend to myself in this while doing this vulnerable process. So I was using mirror meditation. I love you. This is beautiful. Whenever mm-hmm. I was out of sequence with other people, you mm-hmm. love that. You love that. That's your body. Your body did that. That's beautiful. Um, so that's, you know, so I'm working on that in my mind. And then of course you have to deal with you know, the other bodies in the space. But what I noticed, <clears throat> no matter what country I was in, what studio I was in, how long I'd been there, first time, many times with a teacher, I realized that we all have the power to set the tone in whatever space we're in. When we tell ourselves we're too small, we're too this, we're too that, we're not enough, it's a lie. That's our anxiety. And it's telling us the story. And when you agree with it, yeah, you are agreeing to the story, right? Yeah. So I became aware of the story. I was telling myself that, you know, I'm so small and I, you know, I'm this little black girl and no one knows me here and I don't have any. So I have to take up as little space as possible. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm going to take up enough space. I don't have to take up her space. Right. I don't have to take up, uh, I don't have to diminish the space. I'm going to take up enough space for myself, right? Mm -hmm. And I noticed that whenever I was working with myself and whenever I decided and I was in the middle of, you know, being with me, the people around me also relaxed, And it gave them, like, if I was sharing a poll with someone, 
Mm-hmm. I never gave unsolicited advice, which is something that when I would pull with men, gay, straight, whatever, it's just their, their conditioning, you know, they would inevitably give me some unsolicited, and it's like, you work on your own shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I didn't ask you. Like, nope. keep your eyes on your own page. Get out of my process, you know? <laughs> yes. But, you know, when people saw that I was there for me, and the way that I'm there for me is that I love me they felt comfortable being themselves. And I celebrate everybody because we're all stars. Like we're all fucking light. We just like block our own shit. So if I'm finding my light and you're, you know, feeling inspired by that, then fuck yeah, bitch, get on that fucking pole. Yes. Oh my God, that was amazing. That was so much better than the last time. Look at you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's like, and we're celebrating because we're all working on this thing together and you're doing you for you and I'm doing me for me. So that's pole for me. So when oh. I'm pulling here in the house and I'm fucking having, it's like, wow, now I'm working on, can you have a practice of showing up for yourself? Right? Yes. That's yes. different. That phrase that you said about taking up enough space. Yes. I was like, that is such a beautiful balance. Like when you're talking, there were so many things that were sparking in my brain. Like one, I was like, have you read the book, Pleasure Activism? So pleasure, I didn't read the book, but my response to 2016, I mean, the the fucking, that election really changed me. Yeah. Because prior to the election, I too believed, so there is this, there's this PhD, um, Alicia, I'm going to get you her name because she wrote this really incredible, she has this really incredible um, critical race theory on um, white supremacy and sadism. Because her, her estimation, like her understanding, her observation, that's what I'm looking for, her observation of, you know, the civil rights videos and, um, you know, civil rights movement uh, videos from the 60s and, you know, all of the white supremacist, um, you know, uh, incidents mm-hmm. in our history. When you, when you step away from that and you take away the judgment of, you know, racist, da-da-da, da-da-da, they're ignorant, blah, blah, blah. When you, when you step away from the narratives and you look at what a human being, what they're doing and why they're doing it, right. no one does something for no reason. No right. one does something, you know, it, it's, it's, but there was something that she observed in these police officers hosing people down in these lynching photos and it's pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. So when she, this, this, paper she wrote, it's, it's incredible. And it really helped me see all the ways that I had um, absorbed my role in the white supremacist machine. And in 2016, that was so ever apparent. My, my takeaway initially, I mean, I, I grieved, but the grieving was because I was like, wow, all of the work that had been done, all of the people who lost their lives for rights, now we're in a moment where all of that will be upended. That was the promise. Make America Great Again was a promise to upend all of that work. Yep. Because that greatness is about white supremacy. Yeah, it was about simply upholding what the ideals were underneath everything that it's like freedom for all. Oh, except for the people that we are keeping as property. Right. And to me, that's PR. 
Like to me, I think a lot of why people are upset right now is because they're realizing what black people have known all along is that the American ideals are actually just American PR. Yeah. Our, the, the imperialism of this country, that our ideals, oh, we're democracy. When you peel back the narrative and you look at what was actually done, yeah. you know, like that, that's just PR. That's just to keep us in the good graces of everyone and also keep the people that we're oppressing from uprising, you know, like that's, that's what that's about. So in 2016, I was like, I was, I was like, wow, I was undone. I was undone. And I was heartbroken because the work that everyone said that they were doing, it was clear that they weren't doing. So the, the idea of pleasure activism uh, was floated to me. And I, I read a couple of articles on, you know, this, this idea mm-hmm. and coupled that with the understanding um, and, and the, the knowledge that I got from uh, Alicia, the, uh, Dr. Alicia, mm-hmm. um, I was like, oh, right. As, a, uh, as an oppressed person, <laughs> my role in this is to always bleed and to bleed publicly. Yeah. And, to, and, and, and it's like, yeah, all of these conversations that are, are started around like, what, how, what, what should we do? And, and what is it like? It's like, you're a human being. That's such a disingenuous question. So I'm supposed to sit in front of you and bleed and tell you about all the ills that have happened to my people, wrought on us by your people, this government. Like, like we all have a hand. We all see it. But I'm supposed to sit in front of you and just narrate this shit, orate it for you and, and bleed. We're supposed to be on the videos, on social media, bleeding, crying. This is hurting us. This is killing us. Yeah, we know. Everyone knows. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Everyone knows. It's an open secret. It's an open secret. So in 2016, I was like, fuck that. I'm not bleeding anymore. Actually, now that I have this information, what's clear to me, the path to freedom is actually through pleasure. It's actually through loving myself. That is revolutionary. To say, like my, to to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm fine. Yep. That's revolutionary. And your friends, your family members would be like, you're not fine. How could you say, like, it, it inspires an anxiety in people if you're not constantly improving, if you're not constantly producing, improving, you know, looking at yourself and assessing all the things and all the ways in which you should be better because the result of that is that you buy things. I was just going to say the link to when you were talking about developing, <laughs> like, ah, there are so many ideas that are so juicy. <laughs> Uh, like when you're talking about divesting yourself of the perceptions of white supremacy when it came to sexuality and sensuality and so much of that relates to even self-concept of that you have to view yourself through a lens of acceptance and love but then in turn that makes you incredibly powerful because no longer you're no longer beholden to the idea of like well I have to be a certain way or buy a certain thing or behave a certain way to please others because I'm already pleasing to myself. Yep. And then girl, if you throw in there some fucking shaman shit, some four agreements, familiar? Miguel Ruiz? Yep. Yep. When you make those agreements, you're indestructible spiritually. You're fucking indestructible because you know that this is all 
a construct. And love is the goal always. Love, understanding. So I made that decision. Like I, I made that agreement that my role is to love people. The way that I treat people is with loving kindness. And, and that also includes like my boundaries. Like there are, it's only so far I can go. You know what I mean? And that's loving kindness for both of us. You know, yep. I'm never going to be passive aggressive because I take full responsibility for my needs and, and my healing. You know, you're not responsible. So I'm going to tell you what's going on with me. I'll make a request Yep. and I'll, you know, move on from there. Love. Yep. And that it's fascinating to me the way that people respond to boundaries sometimes. Yes. Um, And that then you can kind of look and go, okay, their actions are not my responsibility, nor are they necessarily a reflection on me. Yes. Yes. This isn't about me. This is about them. Yeah. God bless them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my I'm going to go, I'm going to go now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know what I mean? It's like, wow, that's about them. All right, cool. So I'm going to yeah. go now. <laughs> I'd, oh, wow. When you're talking about things being an open secret, that to me is what, at least over the last like month and a half-ish has been so fascinating to me, is that it also relates to what you said about like that now we have time is that to me, it's been so interesting watching how people have reacted to this round of the social uprising that we're experiencing with the overlay of the pandemic. So there is this quote um, that's like, I'm totally going to fuck it up, but uh, (laughs) forgive me. (laughs) Already forgiven. Thank you, Pam. Um, Okay, so it's basically like, yeah, people would much rather receive electric shocks than sit in a room with themselves quietly. And I think that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. We've all been distracted by money, the need for money, work, the need for work, who's on this, visibility, you know, all this shit. This is the rat race. Oh, I got to get married and I got to have kids. I got four kids. Thank you. Amazing. My mom is happy. My great aunt's happy. Everyone loves me. I'm working. And then everything stops. And people had to be home with each other. Yep. And they realize, like, it actually, we don't get all of the work that I've done, you know, like in my adult life. I look back and I'm like, wow. Like a lot of this stuff I'm privileged to have because of my um, my uh, experience in theater. So mm-hmm. in theater, you get that, un- you learn how to cooperate with people. <laughs> you have to. You have to. <laughs> you have to. You have to cooperate. And then you have to learn how to get your needs met. And, and you have to learn how to ask for things. And, and you have to learn how to be a giver. You have to learn what's appropriate. You know, all of that. And that's relationship stuff. And we don't get that. And everywhere in our culture is all about getting together and, and, and making a life, but no one tells you how to do it and, and to be happy. And so, yeah, it, it makes sense to me that there's so many parents that, you know, probably spent thousands of dollars to have these kids, yep. spent thousands of dollars on these kids. And now that they're home with them, they realize they don't really want to be parents. 
Or that they don't know what to do. And they don't know what parenting is. Yes. 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 So yeah, it's, it's really upsetting. And I think too, because of our, I just had this conversation with a friend about um, murder porn. There's this episode yes. of South Park, the informative murder porn. That episode changed my life. I like stopped watching ID because I saw myself. And I think too, we're all like, as a culture, we have such a steady, healthy diet of fear and numbing to violence and murder and death. And, you know, that anxiety is just a part of our day-to-day life, you know, the grind, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. So when it stops, where does that energy go? You know what I mean? That energy, you're still, you're used to this. This is your diet. And this is, so when everything stops, yeah, it makes sense that people are out with their guns for what? You know what I mean? But they're just like, I got to be, this is what I need right now. I need this. You know, I need this. Of course, people are fucking losing their shit (laughs) because of the diet that they were on. And now they're being starved. There's not a lot of content out there now, like TV, like everything is literally, we're being starved out of this toxic supply and people are reacting. They're having withdrawals. That's a fascinating lens with which to view it because I was thinking of it. Oh my God. I'm like... I feel like, did you ever have a light bright as a child? <laughs> there are no, these but little... I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Uh, what I feel like is that each time you talk, it, like, it's a little light bulb that gets like plugged in and I'm just like, oh, they're forming such a cool pattern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's amazing. Say hello. <laughs> you were making me think about like you know when you said we're starved for content in a way and in some ways it's that's so true because you know like set shut down and I know that like usually I mean I record music in my own home but normally I'd be recording with my friends and I I can't um so I've been making stuff on my own and obviously I can podcast from my house which is great but it's like there are so many things that we're not we don't have all these external cues anymore and after a while it's like Gosh, remember like Tiger King? That feels like it was a decade ago. Where it's like people want to have these like cultural zeitgeist moments with media, but we don't have a lot of new media because we can't make it. Um, And I hadn't even thought of that. And like when you were talking about murder porn, it's so striking to me that like throughout other eras of human history it's like we were almost more intimately familiar with death because we weren't separated from it in a way whereas now there's like the sensationalism but we're used to that and it's used to spark fear of like oh you've watched this video on your social media feed of someone dying right Right. and I I've only and I remembered it because I had only accidentally watched one of those that popped up on my feed and it was a few years ago and it was so disturbing that I threw up and like since then like I'm very very careful to not watch those one well, I don't want to throw up, but also too, I don't want to be desensitized to it. Like, I think it was a natural reaction, honestly, to be that upset by seeing someone die on my computer. Like, that's not, that's not a good thing to put in your brain and to just be like, oh, look, another death on my, because there's that distance. Right. And so, and it's so interesting to me that right now, like, And it might be because of what you said, that there's this like paucity of incoming information that when people saw 
what's happening right now, it actually did hit them in a visceral way that they were like, now I have to take action. And also there are so many people that don't have other actions they can take right now. It's like, we've told everybody to stay home with no resources to stay home. Right. And it's like, yeah, the, we told everybody to stay home, but then you have the American way where it's like, oh, the people who can't stay home, the poor, right? Right. Work at the grocery stores. Oh, now we have a different, we have a different view of these people that we were just shitting on like a couple months ago. They Mm -hmm. are heroes. Oh, you work at a grocery store. Oh, thank you for your service. Oh my God. Thank you so much. You know, it's, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Those people are at risk. Yeah. And we're all becoming numb to their death. Oh, it's just a casualty. They're heroes. Heroes die. It's okay for heroes to die. It's sad, but we're you that's a that's a narrative that's already ingrained in us. We're okay with that. So when you find out that mask work mask workers in a factory, four of them died and three, you know, 30 of them got COVID. It's like, oh, right. that's so sad, but they're heroes because they were they were making those masks. You know, it's just like wow, like we're we're so desensitized. And these narratives that we have kind of fill in the gaps where our humanity would usually call bullshit. Right. Right. Where it would kick in of like, well, why do people not have protective gear? Why? Yeah. Are- no, no, no. They're heroes. Shush, 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 Pam. They're heroes. Right. right. They're, they're being brave. Right? So right. no, no, no. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Right. They're essential. Yeah, the essential workers. I found that to be very strange, I guess, because also I'm like, low-key, my other job is that I'm a therapist uh, because I ironically started this podcast to talk to people who do multiple things, and then it became another thing I did. <laughs> that's amazing, Pam. I love my therapist. So, yes, that's that. I respect you. I respect that. That's incredible. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's been It's been so interesting during this time because a fellow therapist and I were talking about that essentially, well, word essential, we're essential workers who are working from home. Like we're part of the healthcare system, but are also extraordinarily privileged in that we can do our work completely remotely. Yep. And so it's been this really weird phenomenon where when you were talking about like, you know, pausing and having time, in some ways I had excess time. And in some ways I had way less time because all of a sudden any client who had ever encountered me was like, hey. I need a moment. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I have some money for you. Exactly. Here you go. I keep joking. I'm like, there was no workshop in grad school on like how to be a therapist during a pandemic. Like, no one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my clients are sometimes like, what do I do? And I'm like, we are all just winging it right now. <laughs> it out, sweetie. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> You're not special, and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. I'm like, we're all in this together in that no one knows what's going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> but okay, I, I told my therapist, you know, when it first started, you know, I, I come from a chaotic background, right? So yes, a lot of, and, and I'm pretty introverted. I love like, you know, just, this is how I, home is where I get my energy. You know what I mean? To, to yes. go out in the world. So I was like, okay, my only job is to stay calm. That's my job for the next few months. Oh, this happened. This fell through. We're not sure about this, whatever. Okay, just stay calm. That's my only job. It's not to fix it, stay calm. 
and then we'll see. Because I love that we're all in the same boat. So there's yeah. no reason to fucking freak out. Stay calm. That, just stay calm. Yeah, because that's you know I always found chaos really comforting as a child strangely enough like I was like oh entropy is increasing all the time and I can't change that yep cool I guess I'll just have to sit with it it. just roll with it (laughs) see where you land Pam might be a good spot that's how I think I'm like this can't well this can't well he's choking her okay all right but but you know somebody might come you know okay See where it's going to go. Yeah. And it's like, and that, you know, because you can't necessarily, there's so many things that are outside of your control that you can't, you can only like affect change within yourself. Yes. It's like, that's, that's your only sphere. Like when you said like taking up just enough space, it's like, that's your bubble. That's what you get to affect. And like, and then when you're, you know, doing good things in your bubble, it had great effect on the other people around you you were talking about. And I was just like, that's a great way to essentially, I guess, lead by example. It all relates back to where you're talking about in poll class of like, then it does create an environment where people then are like, oh, maybe I'll be accountable for my stuff. For me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there, in, in, in that space, like, so there is this director, um, Jackson Gay. Um, she gave me a note um, when I first started, like after college, everything, I worked with her briefly. Um, mm-hmm. She gave me a note that helped me so much and it's a good note for life as well but she said always make the positive choice Hmm. always make the positive choice so the way that that works in acting is this if you make a negative choice I'm in a scene with Pam and my goal is to break up with her my goal is to hurt her my goal is to not pay her any attention my goal is to make her feel you know those negative choices, there's only so many tactics you can do, right? Right. Well, if I want to break up with you, I can tell you I'm breaking up with you. I could maybe throw something or leave and that's it. You know, like that's, that there's not much to go. But if my goal is I'm going to see this through to the end, I'm going to put a smile on her face. I'm going to, you know, if I'm making a choice that's about like moving forward, and yeah. like, and, and you have infinite amount of choices now. If I want to put a smile on your face, I could do a thousand different things and they'll all be interesting and they'll all be real and they'll all be the intention to put a smile on your face. And the audience would feel that. And, and, and then it's like real. And then you're, you have a scene and it's alive. And then the, the other character, Pam, she has something to react to, to respond. Yes. She's not going to smile. She is going to, she's going to give me a smirk. She's going to turn her head. You know, what are we gonna do? You know? So when, when I apply that to life, if I'm going to make the positive choice, the positive choice for me is to stay calm. Then when I am presented with, you know, a stimuli that provokes a, a you know, negative feeling, anger, fear, disappointment. Uh, if I tell myself, okay, my only goal is to stay calm. I find my calm. And then I'm able to look at that problem, that provocation. And then I have a myriad of ways that I can deal with it. Okay. If, if my, my body is still feeling, um, you know, uh, stimulated uh, mm-hmm. by this provocation, then, okay, I can invest in some self-care. I'm going to take mm-hmm. a bath. 
I'm going to pole dance. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to play with my dog. Like all, I have so many things. And then when I approach the problem, because I'm approaching it from a space of, you know, it's me against this problem and not I am this problem or this problem yeah. is my life now. This yeah. problem is the center. When I decenter it and center my calm, when I'm ready to approach a problem, then yes, I have so many ways that I could approach this. And if my my goal is always <laughs> for me, like I love ease and I love play. Those are my values. I always want it to be easy and I want to play. And and there's work that goes into that, you know, yep. and it's it's yep. specific work to get those things, to live in those values. So if I'm gonna play with this problem, if my thing is I'm gonna play, then I create four naturals. That's how I created my company. I had a bald spot in the center of my head. I was losing hair in the perimeter. And it was all because of, you know, white supremacy, the, the lack of knowledge and the disposition toward black women in our hair. Yes. I had to deal with that with individuals who were living out that, that system, that narrative. And so I had to deal with the trauma of their choices based on the narrative that they have about someone like about me. your hair. Yeah. About my hair. Oh my so God. when I left that show, I I did like three months of uh, like EMDR brain spotting, like tra- mm-hmm. actual somatic trauma therapy. Yeah. I knew that um, I had absorbed that trauma and it had affected the way that I looked at myself. And the fact that I absorbed those messages and that those traumas and those experiences said to me that there was an agreement in my body that was there before I even got there. And so I needed to go in and like start getting to know this pain that I was feeling. Yeah. After the three months of trauma therapy, you know, I was still with my, my regular therapist who had suggested, you know, that I look into EMDR. Um, After that, my focus then was like, all right, cool. So now I still am wearing wigs on sets. Hmm. I'm afraid to wear my hair. So in 2019, I was like, okay, so now you're going to heal your hair and you're going to play this game where you debunk every anti-black stereotype about your hair Mm -hmm. and you're going to heal it with something natural that comes from the earth. Now go. So I just like got so interested and was having so much fun with, you know, the research, what am I going to use? And, and, and then getting interested in other people's cultures and mm. hair cultures in other countries. And then all the while I'm, 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 I'm coming up against, okay, I remember that time on set when my fucking hat flew off and this actor looked at me like I was, and then blamed me because we didn't get that fucking you know, shot of the boat that we weren't even supposed to get anyway, but they used that and said that I was a problem. Meanwhile, my character would come back and they would go up 2 million viewers. You know what I mean? But it was like, that wasn't enough. My work wasn't enough. It was, I was always a problem. So, you know, I'm, I'm healing and I'm playing, but I'm also like, okay, all right, we got to, we got to process that. And what was the message that that man was sending me? You know, what was the message? And, and then it's like, oh, this is what he was saying. That black hair is so much of a problem. And the, and the fact that my hat flew off and he could see my natural hair. Yeah. That my hair was wow. beautiful. 
that my hair is not worthy for camera. And that was the message that I was getting all throughout. But there was those subtle like scenes, those moments where it was reinforced that that if, if there was ever any doubt in my mind, there were moments where it was like, nah, this is this is the case. This is the case. So in my healing, I was like, all right, cool. You're, you'll never feel like that again. And, and, and why did you agree with him? Oh, it was because my hair was dry and because my hair was brittle. And, that, and, and I don't have anything to help that. And so I blame the victim too. I blame myself. So when I discovered Henna and Cassie Obavada and, you know, Slippery Elm, and I created this formula and Heal My Hair, and, and it's not what I'm using now. It was like very early on. I was like, wow, oh my fucking God. It's different. Yeah. And it was all with plants. Oh my God. Oh, I am of the earth. And now, Pam, I set black women free. I fucking, this treatment, they come in one way and they leave loving themselves and a little bit confused. <laughs> like, what? I have this one woman in her 50s. She worked for, she worked for Homeland Security. So she had the same issue that I had. Um, you know, on NCIS where it was like, okay, you know, I'm an actress. These white men are telling me that my hair is not professional, that it shouldn't, I, I can't wear my hair on this fucking TV show. And she was getting the same thing in real life. So she was in oh and stuff and her older family members had never seen her hair without it being like extended, you know, relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she flew in to see me and um, her aunt, her, her aunt had picked her up and when she was in the chair, she was telling the story. She was like, her aunt was like, her, and this aunt is like her favorite, so sweet, whatever. And she was like, what is going on with your head? Are you okay? Where are you going? Like, where am I taking? And she's like, auntie, like, it's not that big of a deal. But to this older black woman, seeing her niece, her favorite niece with her Afroed hair untreated in public was so scary for her based on her life experiences. Oh, I was going to say because of how she would have been treated. How she was fucking treated. Yeah. She, it was like, it, it was love and care, but it hurt her. Yeah. You know, like the, the things that she said to her hurt her. So when she woke up the next morning and she was like, okay, you know, you're going to this appointment, whatever. And so the, she's telling her aunt, like, you know, her aunt's like, what is she going to do? Is she going to use a relaxer? Is she going to texturize like chemicals? Right. And she's right. like, oh. She's using plants. And her aunt was like, let's pray. Oh. And at the end of the prayer, she was like, if it doesn't turn out, you can always cut it off. So when she went back, her aunt was floored because her cuticles were smoothed. Like it, I, I got so interested in hair because I was raised in a hair salon. My grandma's had a hair salon since before I was born in Petersburg, mm -hmm. Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up like, washing hair, like, you know, like helping out, you know, whatever. Yep, yep, yep. We knew nothing about actual hair. We knew nothing about, and they were licensed cosmetologists. Right. So because of that, when I was doing my research, I learned about why I had the experience I had on NCIS, why every woman, you know, has the experience and man has the experience of, a, you know, you go into it for a one service and you could get a variety of results depending on, you know, what salon you go to. Right. And I'm like, why is there such a gap in, in knowledge? And why isn't, why can't these styles and, 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 and techniques, why aren't they 
why aren't they the same across the board? Like, where's the consistency? And it's because the cosmetology board doesn't teach you how to do hair. They teach you products. Right. That's our education across the board. You know, like they're teaching relaxers, texturizers, color, pressing curls. They're teaching companies products. And the way they get around teaching hair is they say hair is hair. So when you go through cosmetology school, you don't learn how to detangle hair because hair is hair. And it's erasure because the hair that they're saying is hair is white hair. I was just going to say, they're doing this on white hair. Yes. When you do a relaxer, the only process in the cosmetology board exam, licensing exam, that deals specifically and exclusively with African-American hair, you do that process for your, uh, the, the cosmetology board on a mannequin with type one hair. How the fuck does that work? Wow. So you mean to tell me you could go through your entire, your entire education, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, and never touch type four hair. And then if you're a black stylist who wants to do black hair, yep. essentially you go through school and the major- the foundation of your business, most of those services, you don't even learn. So most of the foundation of black hair care is all experience and apprenticeship. It's all look and, and, and just learning on the go. Yeah, It's not formalized. So when I got that, I was like, oh, right. Okay, so it's not willful ignorance in the sense that they know this stuff and they just like put it out of their mind. Nobody fucking knows. I was just like, I was like, it's it's one of those situations of like you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Then you're like, oh yes. So I was like, oh okay. So let me just teach myself cosmetic chemistry then, because that actually deals with hair. So I learned about porosity. I learned about you know the three layers of a hair strand and why hair looks like it does and why we struggle with the moisture issue, curl definition, you know the proper detangling. So I did all of this fucking research and streamlined it into a treatment. And this is what I teach. It's not just the treatment; it's also the method, right? Mm-hmm. So I have them record, you know, hey, this is how you properly detangle your hair. These are the the, the things that you use, all natural things that come from your cupboard. You no longer need to go to a store. And the beauty of this treatment and the way that henna works, especially for type four hair, is that you can now be product agnostic. Hmm. Every product will work the way that it's intended to work because the condition of your hair now works for the product. Well, and also it's fascinating to hear you talking about this in a way that it would then empower people to not take in that narrative of I'm the problem. Absolutely. Because that was my goal. When I saw what this treatment did to my hair, I was like, now I'm going to set every black woman free and I'm going to heal the black hair salons and I'm going to heal white hair salons because white people should know how to do this hair. And it's so easy. It's so easy. So, you know, COVID messed up the fall 2020 launch for Four Naturals, but the goal fall 2021, I'm in manufacturing, I'm with MC Group, sister scientist, she's one of like three black cosmetic chemists in the country. And so when they saw my formulas, they jumped me ahead by a year, because it's so if they haven't worked with these ingredients, they haven't seen anything like this before. And they they were really excited about it. So they jumped me ahead by a year. 
while we didn't make fall 2021 because of COVID, fall 2020, fall 2020, we'll make mm -hmm. fall 2021. And I will be, this treatment will be available nationwide. And stylists will go through a, a workshop to learn how to properly make. And here's the thing. I'm growing black women's hair. Pam, my hair is down the middle of my back. It's the longest my hair has ever been. I can straighten it with a flat iron. I received no damage. Like wow. my life with my hair is completely different. And I'm progressing women's hair, getting it thicker, getting it stronger, getting it longer. You want curl definition? This is giving you permanent curl definition. And it's really just something you do once a month, once every other month, just to give your hair a nice, good, and it's permanent. It stays wow. out. So every treatment you're building on, there's nothing offered to us hair-wise that every treatment you get, you can over-process it. You could process over what you processed last right. month right. to benefit your hair. So when we look at the Indian community, and we're like, oh my God, their hair is so gorgeous. What I learned was that they had their people's, their, their children's hair every weekend. It's part yep. of the culture. Every weekend we have so yep. I was like, oh, okay, perfect. I'm going to make it so that we can do it in hair salons and, and get the time down and, you know, get the henna cured and everything. But yeah, now we can all benefit white, black, I'm doing everybody, but it's marketed to, for type four hair, but anybody could use this. Uh, it's henna. Anybody could use it and benefit. That is so cool. And, I'll, and like, I just, I hope that no one else has to feel how you felt, that you felt like you had to go along with a narrative that you were the problem. Because I'm like, you weren't. Your hat came off your head. That can happen to anybody. Yep. It's not your fault. You're not in control of all hats. And yep. so it's like... <laughs> or even this one. This one. I loved this one. Same person. <laughs> Same person. We, yeah. were doing, we were doing a scene and it was raining. And, and so the scene was like me and like two of my cop castmates. We like walk into this restaurant and we're like questioning people. But then outside the suspect uh, is on a skateboard and they get hit by this car. So it's a stunt, but mm -hmm. it was raining, right? Mm -hmm. So when we had to do the cross, you know, I told this uh, producing director, I was like, hey, you know, uh, you're going to have to like, blow dry my hair if, we, if we're gonna walk in this rain like can we just like walk under the awning and you know true to form oh no it's too hard to walk up uh, we can't figure it out you know whatever mm -hmm. and so I'm like are you fucking kidding me okay fine whatever so then uh, you know my hairstylist was like yikes like we can't let get her hair wet and but right. my white co-stars were in the same predicament because they have hair too that <laughs> responds to water Yes. By getting wet. <laughs> so they would have to get their hair blow dried too. So it was like all three of us. But I raised the issue first. You know what I mean? Whatever. So we ended up not being able to finish the scene because oh we couldn't do the stunt because of the rain, because it was too dangerous. The yes. car wasn't going to be able to stop because it was skidding because the road yes. was wet. Yes. It got back round, and I'm sitting in this person's face. And they're telling me how big of a problem I am for, for them and for everyone else. And they bring up that day. Yes, you know, such and such told me that, you know, you, you, uh, you were the reason that we, we had to reshoot that. And I, and I was like, what? Hold on, go back. What is this? And he's wow. like, because of your hair, 
we couldn't shoot that scene. So we had to re, and I was like, no, that, no, it wasn't. Because while I was, you know, taking the shit, I was also standing up for myself. But in a lot of ways, standing up for yourself makes you even more of a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, they come at you even harder because they think you can take it. But it's like, no, it's just that I'm not, it's just, it's just me. I'm just going to say what I got to say. Exactly. So I was like, no, I wasn't the only actor. There were two white actors that also needed their hair blow dried. Yep. And, and he had to eat it. Yep. And I, and I also was like, and another thing, you could check the actual notes. We stopped because we couldn't do the stunt. That was the conversation on set. It wasn't hair, it was the stunt. So it was like shit like that. Black girls can't get their hair wet. That's the anti-black myth. Yep. So he was sitting in front of me, you know, condemning me for my blackness and my, and my, aver- my hair's aversion to, to water because that's what he fucking knows. So with Four Naturals, I was like, oh, I'm gonna heal my relationship with water. So now when you have a Four Naturals treatment in your hair and you have type four hair, your hair curls and hangs when it encounters water. It doesn't stand up and frizz. Wow, because I remember when I was a little kid, I'll never forget this, one of my friends from like way early on in elementary school was black and she always had her hair in cute little puffs and she had these elastics that had, little plastic balls on the end, like really colorful. And I, I didn't know what they were called. So I called them bully balls. No idea why I was like five. That name made sense to me. Um, but I thought they were really cool. I call them bobos. Everyone calls them whatever. And like, I remember that, you know, before we went swimming, our rituals were that her mom would do her hair, but then my mom would have to slather me in an insane amount of sunscreen. Right. And so it's like we each had our like pre-swimming rituals. Yes, yes, to take care of your body. Yes. You know? Yes, and it's like, I, you know, I'm so glad that you're developing what you are because it's like I at that time had no narrative of shame around either of those activities and knowing now that it's like as an adult knowing that like potentially like my tiny friend would have been shamed for that or would have felt like something was wrong with her whereas putting sunblock on me was seen as like oh that's normal health yeah and i'm like why wouldn't both of those be seen as oh you're taking care of your child's body yeah it's shame everything is shame and you know what our our well, I'll say this. White supremacy and hair, it, it, that's everybody. Like everybody's gotten it in this country when it comes to hair because hair is a part of assimilation. It's how you are assimilated. So if you look at, um, you know, the, the early aughts of this fucking country and what they did to the Native Americans in the assimilation schools, they cut off their hair. Yeah. Part of becoming white. And then fast forward 18, um, you know, 50s, 40s, 60s, around the, um, when we had all of the Chinese immigrants in San Francisco, they would cut their cues, you know, those long ponytails, mm-hmm. cut that hair. That's part of being white. That's part of being in this country. And for black people, it's, it's we are dismissed from school, jobs, um, you know, because of our hair. It's, it's, it, it's, you're not allowed to wear your hair as it naturally comes out of your head because right. it's unprofessional and it's distracting. Yeah, which, 
Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying about like when you're even going to the grocery store and being comfortable in your own body and that cognitive dissonance that you were talking about of like, I can lift a 200 pound person above my head. Yes. Oh, my not, not above my head, but on my back. Yeah, just- <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ambitious. Yeah, for you. Man, I'll I'd be like, she's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, though. <laughs> It's hilarious. I'm just like, I'm like, get him out there. <laughs> higher, higher. I see you, fam. You got kids. <laughs> you got that mom. Higher. <laughs> go, go, go. No, I fulfill in my friend group, I fulfill the crazy aunt role really well. Me too, fam. Ain't nobody coming out of here. I'm too little for that. Yes. No, That's, that is my thought exactly. I'm like, I, I still wear children's clothes sometimes because. Thank you. (laughs) I'm gonna tell you a secret. So look, I'm like, I'm leaning in. All right, girl. Look, so look. Here's the truth, right? I'm really only four eleven, okay? But I tell a consistent story that I'm five one. You know what I mean? I don't know why the internet has that four. On you know, what I mean? I, that's bullshit because I've been consistent for the last like four years that it's five one, <laughs> but quiet as it's kept. Yes, I actually only made it to four eleven. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. I like that you're just like, and I was really consistent with saying five one. I'm and when you go, I'm like, who put up here. <laughs> I did not consent. Who did this? No one did not consent. How do I get this removed? <laughs> oh my god, that is so funny. I'll never forget it was a music reviewer blogger person that met me once at a show and like I, you know, played a show and then like came off stage and they said to me, they're like, I just expected there to be that, you know, like a more of you. You motherfucker. <laughs> so I was just like, am I like three pams in a trench coat? Like, I don't know what you were anticipating. <laughs> People just have no idea. Oh, they got no clue. Seriously. And I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, what did you say to that? More. What did you say? I looked at him kind of askance and I said, like, like a multiplicity? <laughs> <laughs> Smart broad. Yes, you did say that. Yes, you did. Yeah, what did he do? Screw up his face. What is multiple? Yeah, exactly. Then he was the one that was confused. And I was like, excellent. I have proceeded to baffle you. Now I can disappear into the ether. Yes, my short ass. (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah, it's so funny. And it's like the perception uh, that we have of ourselves of like that your body's not acceptable or that, you know, someone might want more of you or that all of a sudden your hair is a problem. And you're just like, wait, no, I'm just navigating the world being myself. (laughs) But thank you for telling me how uncomfortable you are with yourself. Yeah, I would never make a comment like that because I love myself and I'm comfortable with myself. You know, I would never do that. Yeah. But thank you for telling me who you are. Exactly. (laughs) You know, in this time of, I do feel like everything came to this weird inflection point of change. Mm -hmm. 
where I'm like, okay, there's like no going back now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's coming next, but like, I, I don't think that it's a rewind. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, you can't put crazy back in the bottle, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I ain't calling you a name, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. you can't put that shit back in it. You can't unring a bell. And so yep. once you see it for what it is, yeah, you just got to figure out how you adjust, but you know that you can't go back. There's no way of going back. Nope. Yeah. And thinking about, you know, I'm so curious. Basically, I keep I keep journaling about like, what's it going to look like in a year? Because I've been keeping, I journal anyway, but I've been trying to keep up my practice during this whole experience. Mm-hmm. And I can see even in my own journaling mm-hmm. how rapidly things are changing. Like I look back at my journal from even a month ago mm-hmm. and I'm like, that looks like a different person. Or I, I looked back at my journals from the start of March mm-hmm. and I was like, that was a different existence. That's fascinating. <laughs> like what, <laughs> what's going to happen next? <laughs> so who have you been becoming? I'm curious now. I feel like I've really leaned into who I really was the whole time, but had felt a lot of the pressures of outside narratives to temper in certain ways that now I'm like, eh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In a a lot of ways, I think before I was more stressed out about how to structure my time based on, well, what income do I want? Or what will people perceive of the things that I enjoy? Or will I be seen as competent? Now I'm just like, "Eh." like people hopefully enjoy what I'm doing. But uh, at the very least, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Yes. Oh my God, Pam. Yes. I'm like, yes. absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Because it just sounds like, yeah, like you've been stay like you've been paying attention to yourself yes in a different way yes amazing because the thing that came up for me too when I was listening to you because the question that came up was like yeah so like yeah like yeah she's seeing all this stuff and and you know I'm vibing with you because yeah same same Um, (laughs) and, and, and like, you know, hanging out with people and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, for who though? Yeah. Cause why, why were we doing this? And the thing that came up was like, right, because no one's coming. And I think that that's like the biggest lesson of this fucking pandemic and our leadership. No one's coming. No, no one is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's not going to be like, and I think in some ways when you're talking about the 2016 election, it's like people want like like a strong man or a father or in some ways a bully like they want someone so badly to come and be like this is how you do things this is not how you do things follow these rules and it's almost like like people want someone to follow almost like a demagogue in that way and it's like no one's showing up no 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 and the beauty of what I heard from you was that like, yeah, you invested in that. Cause the other side of no one is coming is no one's coming. Mm-hmm. You can do what the fuck you want to do. Why <laughs> wasn't I fucking buying velvet curtains before? Who the fuck was I think coming here? Like, well, what would he go do? This yeah. is my whole life. This is yeah. me. This is yeah. my life. No it, one is coming. No one's coming. I don't know what stopped me in the 15 years that I've owned my home from investing in window coverings that I actually like. Right, stopping me. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's little choices like that that it's like that's so 
liberating in a way that like no one's coming so it's on you. Yes. And in some ways, like, that's a really good thing. That means it's you can do the right that. thing. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you can solve this however you want. Because it's just going to be you. <laughs> it's going to be me. Yeah. Like, it's fascinating when people start taking agency. And I think that that's been, for me, at least the biggest change. And it sounds like for you, it's, you know, it's given you so much space to play with these problems that you've talked about. And I, I love that attitude, by the way, that you're like, how can I play with a problem? I'm like, what a, yeah. what a cool <laughs> reframe. <laughs> like, yeah. How do I play with a problem? Because you know what? I got really into games, like in 2018. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I realized like, and you know, cooperative games, you know, those cooperative board, board games. Mm-hmm. That's really like the best, that's playing at a healthy relationship. You Ooh. know, you're playing at having a healthy relationship because the cooperative games is like, how do we as a group solve this problem, get to this land, not die, you know, and how do we solve this together as opposed mm-hmm. to traditionally where it's like me against you. Right. I have to get here before you do. That's divide and conquer. And what I love about cooperative games is that they are kind of anti-racist in that they are about uh, about defining and empowering. From mm. that a speech of, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house. Right. She posits that the you can't approach uh, freedom work with divide and conquer. You can't approach freedom work and say, we have to fire these people and kill these men and, and, and kill these da-da-da. That is just the master's tools, divide and conquer. No, 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 no. You define and you empower. So going back to poll, I defined my own problems with myself. Mm-hmm. And I empowered myself to make a different choice. So healing, like a, a, a definition of healing that I love, is healing is really just a different experience. So yeah. if I'm used to, you know, being hit in this situation, the healing is in the same situation, I don't get hit. That's healing. Very right. easy. So for me, it was like, I'm going to empower myself to love myself in public. And then that empowered other people when they saw me doing weird shit in the corner and not giving a fuck. They were like, oh, I can do weird shit in the corner too. Oh my God. And it's everybody free. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That is, that is exactly, I love that because some people react. I've noticed um, the, for lack of a better way of saying it, the fewer fucks I give, Mm -hmm. um, I get one of two reactions. Either other people around me are like, my field of fucks, it is fallow too. How exciting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Exactly. They're just like, oh, how exciting. Or there are other people who almost like double down initially on their fear. When it, when people see you being free, it is a it's provocative. Yeah. Because it brings up like pretty sharply their their decision that they can't be free. So it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? And that feeling of, like you said, being so deep in their agreements in that they have to be stifled, that they have to play into whatever values. And now it's like, I keep joking that like quarantines, I'm like, now we know those things are a lie. Like you can make the choice to invest in something else. Yeah, you could actually work from home. That was all bullshit. I hope that you know, what people, what we all, like, as Americans, like, 
what we take away from this is that we just don't want to do this anymore. It's exhausting. Yeah. What I mean, like, I, I just hope that people lean into, and especially going into the second lockdown, you know, cause a lot of states are locking down again. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I think, and I'm hearing things like in the media that I wasn't used to hearing. Like people are afraid now because they see like, Oh, this is not going away and we're going to shut down again. And, and it's just like getting worse, but we have to, because I don't want to get sick and I don't want to lose any, you know? So there's like now it's, it's just the conversation is different and we all know that it's, it's, it's going to get worse. So I hope that at the end of this, that we're all in agreement that the, the way that we, the road that led us here was one, a road that we all paved with our being numb to human, the human condition and us choosing capitalism over human life. Yeah. Because that's how we got here. You look at these other countries that have strong social support networks, like strong uh, social safety nets. Um, And they're using the capital, you know, for the people, for the most part, all governments have their shit. But for the most part, you know, the people's needs, their basic needs are taken care of. Yeah but not here. And it's because of our rhetoric. It's because of our pull them up on the bootstraps and, you know, you're, don't, don't be lazy. And, and, you know, the American dream and, you know, all this shit, but we're all, there are so many holes, you know, and people fall in the gaps and we're so used to blaming the victim because we have all of these success stories, all of these exceptions that prove the rule, actually. I was going to say, that's why there are exceptions. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. So- yes. Because the rule is, <laughs> yep. Go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, only, you're only valuable in so much as you have value to the powers that be. So if we look at the currency of time, like the currency of time, McDonald's, you know, as a McDonald's worker, a fast food worker, you have agreed that your hour is only worth $8, right? Right. However, the company that you're working for is a billion dollar company. Yeah. They have also decided that your time is only worth $8. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And you're like, okay, yeah, I go along with that. And then we go into this pandemic and all of a sudden you are essential. Yep. Right. And now people have this currency of time and now they realize how important that currency actually was. And that $8, is actually not enough like capital for that time because now that we're all sitting at home, we realize, whoa, I've been spending my time in the wrong place, working on the wrong problems. Yeah. And thinking about that in the end, it's like time is the only resource that you have because it's something that you, you can't get it back once you spend it. No, you don't. You can't and you don't. So I'm just hoping that like, listen, guys, America, can we just all agree that we should all live and not just like certain people? Because that's where we get hung up. Whenever it's like, hey, we should like extend these rights to everyone. That's when the name, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. What about the lazy people? What about the people who are taking advantage? What about? And so all is like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, come on, guys, let's stop this shit. Everybody gets it. Yep. 
and we'll and we'll and let the let the whatever policy enforcement whatever let them deal with it. But yeah. let's not let's not put the cart before. Let's not say that malfeasance is happening and we ain't even got the shit yet. You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> how do you even know? And we ain't even there yet. You know, like you're just stopping the thing. That's so, also worst case scenario. One out of hundred people might be lazy. Okay. Yes, one out of yes, yes. <laughs> and listen, that's cool. happening right now, and they got jobs. You work yeah. with them people, and they get paid. They lazy as fuck. So exactly. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm like everyone's worked on a group project and seen, you know, that regardless, there there's gonna be someone who's not gonna pick up their end, and that that's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, what about you? Yeah, that's, and it's like, and and that's at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. What about you? Why are you worrying about other people? Worry about yourself. If you mm -hmm. want to change, change yourself. If you want love, change yourself. If you don't, if you don't want to be a lazy person, change yourself. <laughs> you don't be, you know what I'm saying? Like, focus on yourself. Because yep. at the end of the day, a lot of these people, you know, we all talk about voting against your own self-interest. Yeah, that's what it becomes. Because yep. you're so focused on black immigrant, whatever, not getting, that you keeping yourself from getting it and you fucking need it too. So what the fuck are you doing? Let's stop. Let's stop. Let's stop it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, stop. Yep. And, and we all agree, we all have a right to live. And and that way, it, when the shit goes down, we're good. And nobody has to fucking freak out. You know what I mean? Yep. We'll see. We'll I was going to say, I'm just like, I think that's like a great note to close on of like, hey, you want change? Change yourself. Be the change you want to see. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. I'm just like, I want to keep talking for hours, but that's also. I, know, girl, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> but I have fun talking to you, girl. This is great. Well, it was an absolute pleasure. And I hope that you stay safe and continue to do amazing things with hair and with pole. And I really want to see a video of your talk. <laughs> yeah, I might send you some, Pam. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.